Murray covers at length the players' strategic decisions in terms of responding to Senator Leffler, her letter, and her positions. How would you describe the players' strategy and how it's been playing out? Well, you know, it's interesting, Jeremy. I was uh, I co-wrote this story with Katie Barnes, and as we were talking about it at one point, um, how the players realized a couple weeks into this that you know, they gave an initial response to Senator Leffler. They they went on TV shows. They wrote op-ed, one, uh, you know, Lasia Clarendon wrote something for the undefeated. Renee Montgomery wrote something on Medium. Um, they tweeted at her, and there was a lot of engagement back and forth. And every time they would do it, it would stir up another round of interviews and oxygen for Senator Leffler to, to either write something um, or go on uh, uh, Fox News or radio interviews or interviews with, with, the, with this network as well. Um, and they, they said, you know, every time we say her name, it's giving her more oxygen to point and to get attention. Let's stop saying her name. And Katie, uh, Katie Barnes, my co-writer, essentially said to me, isn't that interesting that WNBA has dedicated their season? It's literally on the back of their jerseys, say her name, because they're referring to, to Breonna Taylor and all the other female victims of police brutality and racial violence. But their decision in, in how to handle this politically is to not say Senator Leffler's name anymore. And if you look at all the statements, if you look even at any interviews that, that the players gave, they're very careful not to ever say Senator Leffler's name. And with that being said, uh, there's no segue. I'm probably this is a difficult about conversation in our society. the only you know, two beautiful black person who will reference WNBA. I'm pretty sure there's a few more, but on the average, because WNBA does not get a lot of love. So, we're going to talk a little bit about the WNBA. Inside the WNBA, Kelly Leffler's stalemate. Will something give? Will somebody go? A few months ago, WNBA player Elizabeth Williams might not have posted the photo to her Instagram account. A few years ago, she might not have gone to the Black Lives Matter protest on June 3rd at Centennial Park in downtown Atlanta. She's not usually the one to be the first out there to put her name on her face or face out there, says Jamie Stoner, Williams' friend. Not because she doesn't care. That's just her personality. Williams plays for the Atlanta Dreams, a franchise in the birthplace of Martin Luther King Jr. The team is named for his famous I Have a Dream speech, which he gave 57 years ago on October 28, 1963. And like so many others, before much of professional sports shut down Wednesday in protest of the police shooting of Jacob Blake, she had been deeply affected by the police killings of black Americans such as George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, and she wanted to do something about it. With mask on and hands up, Williams walked the streets of Atlanta, chanting and pleading for social justice. The longer she marched toward the Georgia State Capitol, the louder her normally quiet voice grew. Stoner pulled out a phone and discreetly snapped a picture. I just want her to be able to see for herself. Look at how powerful it is when you speak up, when you show up, when you're using your platform, Stoner says. And you can feel that in this photo. When they got home from the march, she showed the black and white photo to Williams. Williams's long arms are raised plaintively along with those of thousands of others as the marchers chant, hands up, don't shoot. Her face partially hidden behind a mask is serious. Her equality shirt stands out among a group of homemade signs. The tips of three tall buildings and a crane peek out from behind her, jagged and dissonant. Williams posted it to her IG account with the Black Lives Matter hashtag. The evocative photo struck a chord and Williams has a pretty good idea why. I see people not just wanting change, but demanding it, Williams said. I also see a history repeating itself. 
That's why I liked it in black and white, because these protests aren't new. And I see a combination of bravery with a little bit of fear. Little did Williams know that just a month later, she would be using her voice to stand up to and campaign against the owner of her WNBA team, U.S. Senator Kelly Loeffler, Republican Georgia, who in a letter to Commissioner Kathy Engelbert on July 7th objected to the league's embrace of the Black Lives Matter movement. In part, the letter read, I believe it is totally misaligned with the values and goals of the WNBA and the Atlanta Dream, where we support tolerance and inclusion. This is not a political movement that the league should be embracing, and I empathetically oppose it. For a league that has spent months planning how to make its season feel meaningful amid the coronavirus pandemic and nationwide protests, the letter was a dagger to the heart of what WNBA and the players had just declared they cared about most. It was like, hey, what are you going to do about your owner? Williams says, like the burden had been put on us. They could not stay silent or wait until the conflict blew over. Because America in 2020 is a country divided by politics and pandemic, a pandemic and protest, it is socially distant but yelling at the top of its lungs. It is shaken by all of it, but also stirred by the opportunity for change. It is scared but also brave. It is the Atlanta dream. A few months ago, Loeffler might not have felt the need to send a letter. A few years ago, her words might not have had the power to divide so thoroughly. But Loeffler, 49, became a U.S. Senator in January after she was appointed by Georgia Governor Brian Kemp to replace Johnny Isakson, who resigned because of health reasons. The seat is up for grabs in a special election in November. It was a challenge from the start. Georgia, once solidly a Republican stronghold, had shown signs of turning purple in recent elections with Democrat Lucy McBath flipping a congressional seat in the Atlanta suburbs in 2018 and Democrat Stacey Abrams mounting a strong challenge to Kemp in the 2018 governor's race. Loeffler's association with the WNBA, which for years had staked a claim as a leader among LGBTQ causes, the WNBA began promoting League with Pride Nights in 2014, and racial and social justice movements was a liability to her conservative credentials. She stepped down from her seat on the WNBA Board of Governors in October of 2019 and is no longer involved in the daily operations of the dream. But to dream players like Williams and Renee Montgomery, who had been tracking Loeffler's political statements and actions throughout the spring, it was only a matter of time before Loeffler and the WNBA clashed on a national stage. Politics, they call it, mudslinging for a reason, says Montgomery, the dream point guard who is sitting out the 2020 season to focus on her foundation and social justice initiative. She's doing what most politicians do. They find something that they think they can win off of, and they exploit it. That This confrontation happened with the Atlanta's WNBA owner and team is probably no coincidence either. The city is at the epicenter of Georgia's political and demographic changes, which means that power is shifting and that there are those who like it the way it was and those who want even more change. The sports world has mirrored that societal shift as athletes have increasingly stepped into and led political discussions they might have ducked a few years ago. And like Williams, many were at the front lines of the protest marches this spring. That put pressure on the teams that played for to issue statements of support. Those that hesitated, like New York Knicks, faced heavy criticism. The dream made Juneteenth a paid company holiday. Montgomery said several team officials attended her event on June 19th to feed protesters in Centennial Park. The coaches, GM, my teammates, they all have publicly shown their support for me, Montgomery said. 
I think that the owners do different things that are political. I'm sure that there's other owners that are Republicans and support what she supports as well. We've seen that. That's just a norm in sports. That's not something that the athletes have gotten into before. It's just getting highly publicized now. Loeffler contends that the WNBA players made the first political move by dedicating their seasons to social justice and the Black Lives Matter movement on July 6th. The players contend that Loeffler played the first political card when she sent the letter to Engelbert on July 7th. The statement, Black Lives Matter, is very different than the organization, Black Lives Matter, Loeffler said in a July interview in, with ESPN. I think we all agree the life of every African American is important. But the Black Lives Matter political organization advocates things like defunding and abolishing the police, abolishing our military, emptying our prisons, destroying the nuclear family. It promotes violence and anti-Semitism. To me, this is not what our league stands for. Loeffler's claim, like most things in politics, depend on a person's perspective. The organization says it is a frequent target of disinformation and is committed to creating a world where every black person has the social, economic, and political power to thrive. Still, the WNBA players have continually stressed that they are not endorsing the organization or its policies, but are instead trying to highlight systemic racism and violence against black people. We literally say it's not about the organization, Montgomery said. And she's like, but what about the organization? I don't think people are confused about what we're talking about. Very quickly, it became apparent that the WNBA players and Loeffler were talking at each other, not with each other. In the first few days after Loeffler registered her objections to Engelbert, Montgomery wrote an article on Medium. Loeffler did an interview with the Laura Ingram on Fox News. Engelbert issued a statement saying the league will continue to advocate for social justice. New York Liberty Guard LaShia Clarendon wrote an essay for the undefeated. Loeffler wrote an opt for the Daily Caller. The Players Union account tweeted, Enough out. This isn't about me. This is about every American's right to speak out, to enjoy free speech, to support whatever calls and not be canceled, Loeffler said on Ingram's show. We have this cancel culture that is threatening America. Williams and her dream teammates watched as it all unfolded, then organized a Zoom call to discuss a unified response. On July 10, three days after Loeffler's letter, the Atlanta players issued a statement that sources said was not shown to either Loeffler or her co-owner, Mary Brock. Black Lives Matter, we are the women of the Atlanta dream. We are the women who support a movement. We are strong and we are fearless. We offer a voice to the voices. Our team is united in the movement for black lives. It's not extreme to demand change after centuries of inequality. This is not a political statement. This is a statement of humanity. Then the players tweeted from their own accounts. We've read the letter. We reject the letter. Black Lives Matter. Vote November. Loeffler's name was never mentioned. That was intentional. Voting in November was mentioned. That was intentional too. For months, Williams had been monitoring news around Loeffler and talking to the other players on the union's executive committee about her concerns. In March, the Justice Department announced it was investigating lawmakers who had dumped stock following a January 24th coronavirus briefing with Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Director Robert Redfield and Dr. Anthony Fauci nation's top infectious disease expert. Loeffler was cleared of wrongdoing in May. In June, Loeffler, we must not allow, and I'm going to take this call. Good evening. Hello.
okay. It appears we had a caller on the line, but I guess that caller isn't there right now. So we will continue. In June, Loeffler tweeted, We must not allow mob rule after armed protesters gathered near the Atlanta Wendy's where police accused Richard Brooks. The tweet included a clip from a Fox News interview in which she called the protesters totally unacceptable. Several high-profile WNBA players, including Natasha Cloud and Skyler Diggins-Smith, called for Loeffler to sell the team after the mob rule comment. Eleven days later, Loeffler sent the letter to Engelbert. This had become a WNBA issue, Williams argued, not just an Atlanta Dream issue. And so the players consulted over Zoom with former First Lady Michelle Obama and seasoned politicians like Stacey Abrams. They consulted former WNBA President Lisa Borders, who knew Loeffler well as one of the key players in bringing the Dream to Atlanta. The advice they got was straight out of a Politics 101 seminar. Stay focused on your mission and what you believe in. Do not get pulled into a fight you didn't go looking for. And whatever you do, do not say the name of your opponent. There was something profound about deliberately not saying the name of their adversary in a season with the theme, Say Her Name, to recognize all the women of color who have been killed by police or racial violence. We started to realize that this was only happening for her political gains, says Seattle Storm Guard and Union Vice President Sue Bird. This was something that she wanted. And actually, the more noise we made, whether it was a tweet saying to get her out, that was just playing into her hands. So with that, it became a game of chess versus checkers. Loeffler countered that she shouldn't be canceled for standing up for her conservative beliefs. And by the letter of the WNBA's bylaws, she was right. This wasn't a Donald Sterling situation. Nothing Loeffler said was grounds to suspend her from the league and force her to sell, as NBA Commissioner Adam Silver had done in 2014 when the then L.A. Clippers owner was caught on tape making blatantly racist statements to his mistress. Silver suspended Sterling from, WN from the NBA for life using his powers to act in the best interest of the league, which was losing sponsors in the wake of the scandal and facing the real, the very real possibility of player boycotts. The NBA Board of Governors was set to vote on whether Sterling should be forced to sell the team, but his wife Shelly Sterling sold the team to Steve Ballmer for $2 billion before a formal vote could take place. WNBA's options with Loeffler are far more complicated. Yes, players have been offended by Loeffler's comments, but no one was threatening to boycott. No major advertisers or sponsors had cut bait, and no players said they wouldn't play for the dream in the future. It would be hard for the league to force her to sell, and even if it tried, selling during the coronavirus pandemic and the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression is terrible timing. Plus, players felt that trying to force Loeffler out could become a distraction from their overall goals this season. So, Engelbert felt the best thing she could do was support the way the players chose to handle the situation. I'm committed to making sure the season is dedicated to making sure Black Lives Matter and that these players who have always led are supported by the league, Engelbert said. Essentially, she handed the power to the players. That's why I give Kathy a lot of credit, says Liberty's Clarendon, who is co-vice president of the Players' Union. She really has been like, I want this to be a player-led league and is letting us run with a lot of the things we want as players. The players continue to call attention to say her name. They honor Brianna Taylor and Sandra Bland, and they hashed their plan that would escalate things. There is more to that report, but I have more news I want to get to. So if you're listening to A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, stay tuned. I have more coming up after this.
word from our sponsor. The most luxurious possession, the richest treasure anybody has, is his personal dignity. If I had a room jammed with trophies, awards, and citations, and a child of mine came into the room and asked what I had done in defense of those fighting, and I had to tell that child I had kept quiet, that I had been timid, I would have to mark myself a total failure in the whole business of living. I cannot say I have it made while our country drives full speed ahead to a deeper rift between men and women of varying colors, speeds along a course towards more and more racism. Life is not a spectator sport. If you're going to spend your whole life in the grandstand just watching what goes on, in my opinion, you're wasting your life. Until every child can have an equal opportunity in youth and manhood. Until hunger is not only immoral, but illegal. Until hatred is recognized as a disease, a scourge, an epidemic, and treated as such. Until racism and sexism are conquered. Until that day, Jackie Robinson and no one else can say he has it made. There's not an American in this country free until every one of us is free. Jackie Robinson and how they still resonate today. Very, very powerful words that we should take to heart. So we are going to now Take a look at the NBA and what the experts say NBA players should do. As we dive into this story, before the NBA and the National Basketball Players Association announced Friday, that the postseason will resume with players and the league working collectively towards social justice goals. We reached out to more than a dozen leaders to ask how they would advise NBA players to use their influence to translate political passions into tangible results. One recurring theme that emerged from these elected officials, legal scholars, criminal justice reform advocates, communication executives, and political operatives can be summarized by an old adage. All politics is local. It's not a coincidence that the Milwaukee Bucks spent part of Wednesday on the phone, not with federal office holders or national leaders, but with their state's attorney general and lieutenant governor. That govern criminal justice originate at the local and state levels in many of the grassroots organizations and local interests that can compel reform from those with power reside in local communities. There are no simple answers to the most serious questions and no singular route to progress. Our panel of experts offers a range of ideas to this generation of NBA players who are looking toward the next phase of their activism excerpted below from longer conversations. The reality of black pain is breaking American sports status quo. The platform by stature and fame, NBA players can seem larger than life to the public. The prominence enables them to project a message that can reach the top rungs of power and the smallest communities. Learning how to maximize that range is a key to effective activism. So how can NBA players leverage their team's place in civic life? Sherilyn Ifield, President and Director of Council of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. 
basketball teams live in cities, and these are largely local issues. Every team has the right to flex their power within its city. And the leaders in that city, the chief of police, the mayor, the city council, should be compelled to be responsive to what the teams want to see happening with policing in those communities. Make your city understand that the price of having an NBA team is becoming a leader in transforming public safety. I would tell the teams and the players to become educated about what are the kinds of measures that must be undertaken to lessen the likelihood of what happened to Jacob Blake happening to anyone else. Connect with local grassroots groups that have been working on these issues and inform themselves about how these issues are actually playing out in the lives of ordinary people. Then use their voice, their capital, their resources, their influence to push local leaders to make the kind of transformation that they want to see happen. That transformation can be thinking through how to lessen the footprint of law enforcement in black communities by supporting, providing more resources for mental health and youth development and homelessness. It could involve looking at the disciplinary code and determining whether officers are being held accountable for conduct and looking at laws in the city and laws of the state that may shield officers from accountability. So, how can NBA players use their visibility to mobilize support? Lee Saunders, president of American Federation of State, County and Municipal Employees. Athletes are realizing we've got some juice. And the most effective way to use it is to bring people in the community together on important issues. If an NBA player called for a meeting on the local level and invited state legislators, the mayor, city council members, school board, or even members of Congress, when they're back home, I guarantee you they'd get a crowd and those elected officials will show up. Now, you need to know the message you want to deliver to these elected officials. You need to educate them on how the issues impact the community and how you want the job done. These kinds of sessions play a really important role. They can flip an issue. This is where the real lobbying takes place. They don't need to come to Washington and walk around the halls of Congress. Their statue is biggest at the local level where they can get the attention of those in power and ask them to sit down with members of their community. Should players advocate for a single specific issue or should they adopt a full slate of initiatives? Judy Smith, founder, president and CEO of Smith & Company, an inspiration for the protagonist of the TV series Scandal says, I would choose two, maybe three issues that the players can constantly drive. Those initiatives should be introduced in a very clear and concise terms that resonate with the public. Repetition in messaging is important as well as coordination. Everyone struggles to get through the clutter. NBA players should continue to use their voice to advocate for social change and justice. Issues. Social justice is a broad movement that encompasses many facets of day-to-day -day life. Effective activism requires not only a broad message, but often a focus on specific issues. So, are there social issues beyond po policing the NBA players can bring attention to? Reginald Dwayne Betts, founder the Million Book Project. We absolutely need to have players using the tremendous platform that they have to reach as many people as possible. We want to draw attention to police violence, but players could also broaden how we address these problems because they're so intertwined. Incarceration is intimately connected to communities in America being over-policed. Right now, we still have too many people that are in prison and we see in the crisis with COVID that this is so intense that the NBA has to go into a bubble to have a season. But what does that mean for people who are currently incarcerated when 8 out of 10 hotspots in the country for COVID exist at one point or in 
prisons, and jail. The voices of players also needed doing the kind of work that Maya Moore spent a year doing, getting people out of prison that do not belong. But you don't have to give up a season. If you find value in the notion that people can redeem themselves and people deserve the opportunity of freedom, you can ask, how can I lend myself to an organization that is doing this kind of work? What's a specific criminal justice reform issue NBA players can emphasize? Tracy Macklin, professor at Boston University School of Law. Players could advocate for the elimination of what are known as pretextual traffic stops. The police can't stop an automobile unless they have probable cause or reasonable suspicion. Those standards are satisfied if police have a reasonable belief that a traffic offense has been committed. Now, people commit traffic offenses constantly without being aware. So what police do is they engage in what are known as pretextual stops. In other words, they use the traffic offense as a pretext to pull over the car. They then use the pretextual stops as fishing expeditions, typically for drugs, but often for guns and other illegalities. Black people are subject to a disproportionate number of pretextual stops. Both Philando Castile and Sandra Bland were pretextual stops. Players could say, we want the legislator of Wisconsin or California to ban both local and state police departments from engaging in pretextual police stops, period. So, how deeply do NBA players need to educate themselves in the intricacies of criminal justice reform? Randall Kennedy, Michael R. Klein, Professor of Law, Harvard Law School. One should not expect athletes to be experts in problems involving the administration of criminal justice. There are people who have a dem- who have demonstrated history of being involved in legislative activity, in litigation, in public education, the way these elite players work on their games. The players have statute and some degree of financial resources, and what they are doing has been fantastic. They should link up with those who are knowledgeable and have a track record and who could use the help. So, is there pending legislation that addresses the immediate concerns of NBA players? Representative Karen Bass, Chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. The players should know about the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act and how it will specifically change things fundamentally. It was passed on a bipartisan basis in the House of Representatives and needs to be brought up for vote in the Senate. The players could play a role in helping bring pressure on the Senate. Now, it's not just about Congress. The reforms that are in that bill can be implemented on a state or local level anywhere and everywhere. The act has multiple components and it might be that it won't fly in. For example, the state of Georgia to remove qualified immunity, but maybe they can ban the chokehold. Maybe they can ban no-knock warrants. Maybe they can have a statewide registry. Strategy. The world of pro sports brings together diverse stakeholders, from municipal governments to billionaire owners to the millions of residents who live in the shadow of arenas and stadiums. Achieving change often means finding mutual interest in interests even when there are opposing goals. How can NBA players broaden their social, their scope by expanding their alliances? Karen Boykin Towns, Senior Counselor, Sard Rabinin and Company, Vice Chairman of the NAACP National Board of Directors. Right now, aggressive policy and criminal justice are a burning platform. But we also find ourselves an economy that is cratering, cratering in the middle of a pandemic and are seeing crisis in both education and healthcare. While it would be great to be able to focus on one issue and drive that home, 
we have to be able to walk and chew gum. There are 30 teams, enough where players can identify those issues for their specific passion, experience, and expertise. What if this were organized across sports in a specific state or city? NBA, WNBA, MLB, NFL. Because what the Milwaukee Bucks did on Wednesday night rippled across other sports instantaneously. We are in a time of despair and loss, but that was a ray of light. There's also more to that as well, too. But due to time constraints, we will table the rest of that because, like I said, there is quite a bit more to that. And we can go on and on. But there you have what the players can do, what they should do. And it's all about engaging. So now it goes back to this. I'm going to bring this issue up. Because the way I see it, it was a nasty fight between the NBA and the President of the United States. The teams that won the championship didn't want to win, didn't want to visit the White House. To that, I say, go do it. Now, this article here just proved that what's done is usually done on the local level. But you have a chance to go to the White House. You may not like the one that's running the country. But any time you get a chance and you have a platform and you have a chance to go straight to the source, my God, do it. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. So what I'm going to say in closing this segment, I will say it like this. Shame on Kevin Durant. Shame on the Golden State Warriors. Shame on LeBron James when he had a chance to go. Because that was your chance. You missed it. You blew it. Not saying that he would really listen or take into consideration. But at least you had a chance to let your voice be heard. What I'm going to say may ruffle some feathers. But having a chance to let your voice be heard straight to the source and not going to go do it, I will simply say, Kevin Durant, Golden State Warriors, LeBron James, Cleveland Cavaliers, I'll say it like this. You took the coward way out. Yes, you took the coward way out. Now we're faced with what we're faced with now. Two senseless killings, police brutality. Who knows, maybe your voice could have saved this. Now we're in the midst of racial tension country divided you had the chance no more excuses I will have more when I come back this is a train sports talk podcast this is Anthony Smith after a word from my sponsor I will be right back as I get ready to close this segment out I want to end it on this Hassan MLB's first foray into social justice activism was a disorganized mess, and that made it perfect. Randy Wilkins was frustrated, and at 10.09 a.m. on June 3rd, he purged his feelings. For 36 minutes, over the course of 16 tweets, Wilkins dissected with great clarity how Major League Baseball had botched its response to George Floyd's murder and how it was indicative of deeper problems of racism within the sport. Wilkins is a baseball fan and a black man, and to see the game he loves hurt him again and again became too much to contain. People at MLB saw Wilkins' thread. The bluntness and the lucidity of his argument was impossible to ignore. The 
They also saw an opportunity to do what they had pledged, to seek new voices, to learn, to not all, to not fall prey to the ills of which Wilkins wrote. So they asked Wilkins to collaborate. He's a filmmaker, and he has always been fascinated, not just by how Jackie Robinson integrated sports and, in many ways, America, but also in Robinson's post-career activism, his support for black businesses, legal protections, civil rights. It was a very, it was very important to me to tell that story, Wilkins said. I just didn't imagine it would be with MLB. What came of it is 87 seconds of purpose, a short film released by MLB to kick off the sports annual celebration of Robinson in that time. Wilkins uses the words of Robinson, the voice of Dodger star Boot Bet, and the images of baseball and baseball adjacent causes to weave an instructive tapestry, one that tells a story that both general, generational and contemporary, alongside Henry Aaron and Willie Mays are clips and a photograph of Kurt Floyd, Kurt Flood, whose fight for free agency carved the gilded path down which athletes in all sports walk. Interspersed among pictures and videos of protests, past and recent, is a woman holding a sign that says, Black Trans Lives Matter. Not until this year did MLB allow itself to say, Black Lives Matter. By rubber stamping a video that does so and includes the trans community, MLB convinced Wilkins that the league really is at an evolutionary point. I felt comfortable there were people who genuinely wanted to make a change, he said. Prior to speaking to them, my perception would align with the general public. In being able to speak with so many people, not just about business, but on a personal level, I had no concerns. I thought it was genuine. I think they were committed to enacting change. I think they do understand things need to get better, not just in the game, but the world. They understand their responsibility. If they didn't, Wednesday and Thursday night might have gone differently. MLB might have meddled in on the on the fly protest stage by team. The league might have mandated a coordinated response. Instead, MLB got out of the way just enough to let the players find their way. Over the first 48 hours of baseball, most players first legitimate foray into the world of social injustice and how to write it. There was talking and crying and hugging and yelling. It was a big, sloppy, disorganized mess. In other words, it was perfect. Anybody who calls for some sort of organized response by MLB to the shooting of Jacob Blake doesn't understand that movements do not start from the top down. As much power as the institution of baseball has, it functions best as a support system for players rather than an engine for change itself. Imagine what would have happened had baseball planned a day off for all teams. It would have been perfunctionary, something everyone did not because they chose to do so, but because they were told to. Planned protest delegated by figures of authority is not protest. Here's what protest looks like. Milwaukee Brewers players inspired by the Milwaukee Bucks walking out on a playoff game, wondering if they should do the same and doing it. Players from other teams considering doing the same and deciding not to. And then, a day later, recognizing the error of their ways, learning from their choices. In some clubhouses, sources said the strength of voices, robust discussion, animated decisions. With the New York Mets, the players' decisions to walk onto the field 
pause for 42 seconds as an homage to Robinson, then leave the field with a Black Lives Matter t-shirt on home plate was not unanimous. Some believe the symbolism to be trite. In the end, the Mets and Marlins went out together and did it anyway. Across the sport, there were angry players who felt bullied into going along with protests. That was to be expected. The politics of a majority of baseball players go against the strength of social justice movement. It takes black players standing up in meetings and going into detail about racial injustice to illuminate teammates. It takes conversation. It takes all the elements a planned day off would eliminate. This is not to say teams were entirely supportive. Multiple owners strongly opposed protesting police brutality against black people. According to players who spoke with ESPN and suggested their teams wanted them to play. Then there was the hot mic allegation by Mets general manager Brody, Van Wagenen, that Commissioner Rob Manfred suggested a token protest in which the Mets and Marlins would walk off the field, only to return an hour later and play. While Van Wagenen walked back his comments and absolved Manfred. In a clarification, he said the idea was that the Mets COO Jeff Wilpine. Whoever the idea came from, it was clear at some level that management was not automatically supported. The intervention didn't ruin the effect. Ten games were postponed. Twenty teams didn't play. On the eve of Jackie Robinson Day, baseball players were taking the cues of his namesake. They were beginning to realize that in baseball, the most powerful thing isn't your arm or your bat. Is your voice. Over the past few days, as he prepared for his film to run Friday, Wilkins was balanced, has balanced his excitement with the sadness that accompanies the shooting of Jacob Blake, the death of George Floyd, the acts that pile up and remind him what it's like to be black in America today. He sees the aspersions cast on the players who chose to postpone their games the idea that just because they don't know where this movement is going, it blunts the impact or lessens the import. Change takes time. Organizations takes effort. NBA players did not become what they are, a group with clear, defined, actionable goals outlined Friday in their return to play plan overnight. This is the age of a player agency, Wilkins said. The last 40 hours, especially for baseball, is a clear indicator that there is a paradigm shift taking place before our eyes. It's a long process. It's a tough process. But we're seeing professional athletes recognize their power and translate that into action and force conversations that demand change. In some ways, it has to be messy. It's not easy. If it were that easy, we would have figured out all the answers. We're learning in real time. We're all learning in real time. I'm still learning. How do I use my voice? Voice for his film was important, and it's why Wilkins was thrilled when he heard Betts agreed to participate. His role in the Dodgers game Wednesday against San Francisco being postponed cannot be oversold. Betts said he wasn't playing. The rest of the team followed. Out of respect for who Betts is and what he stands for and how strong his conviction is. It's serendipitous and Fortuitous, Wilkins said, that Mookie is at the forefront. Among Betts and Flood and the Black Trans Lives Matter sign, Wilkins said he's trying to represent stories and communities that need to be at the forefront of these conversations. I'm proud of that, and I'm glad MLB agreed with that. They didn't have to. If we look at the history of things, 
MLB is taking a risk by showing these images. And I'm really appreciative they decided to do so. The last few days have been very conflicting, he said. On one end, the events going on are scary. They're terrifying. They are reminders that others look at people who look like me as a threat when I'm no such thing. It's made me hyper aware of where I am, how I behave, how people look at me, how they perceive me. On the other end, I have this film where I've been given this opportunity to tell this story that needs to be told. As a filmmaker, my responsibility is to tell stories that document the stories of our time with an honest perspective. That story in baseball is just beginning. There are more conversations to be had, more action to be taken, more allies to join. The systemic racism Randy Wilkinson in baseball two months ago is far from eradicated and won't be for years. But change starts with a player, a team, a day of protest, then two. With 87 seconds of purpose that show the past and present aren't so different, and that the gains made then were only the start. Could we be seeing a change in Major League Baseball? It's just the start. But let's wait and see how the story unfolds. You've been listening to another edition of A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. I'm glad you took the time out of your busy schedule to listen. I'll be back with you again, but until later, this is Anthony Smith signing off from A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Take care of yourself and each other. Have a blessed evening.